Hello. My name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. You're about to embark on a great journey. Let the new age of enlightenment begin. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea. A new world order. It's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one-world communist government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out podcast, where we talk about hidden history, deep political policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the Odd Man. Welcome. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually... Um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. Public policy could itself become the captain of a scientific, technological elite. And when that first cocaine was smuggled in on a ship, it may as well have been a deadly bacteria so much as it hurt the body, the soul of our country. But take my word for it, this scourge will stop. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am pleased to have my next guest on. Uh, I We've been corresponding a little bit, and we have a mutual friend, uh, Deanna Michelle Loper, uh, who wrote the book, Kabbalah Secrets Christians Need to Know. And she kind of put us in touch with each other. And so we have been planning on doing this show for a few weeks, and I'm glad to bring it to you. And I'd like to just have my guest kind of introduce himself and give us a little background on who he is and how he got to where he is. And he's got a very, very interesting story. And he's been on a search and on a search for the truth, which I really admire. And uh, he's went through a lot of different uh, avenues to search and find that truth. So would you uh, care to give us a little bit of information, of course, your name and, and all your background? Wonderful. Well, thank you for having me on the show again. And my name is Luis Perez. Uh, some of you may have seen me maybe from other videos that, that are around on YouTube and other platforms there. Um, I grew up in California in the Los Angeles area, went to, to school there, university um, at what is called now the American Jewish University. At the time I was attending, it was called the University of Judaism. Uh, studied there, did my degree in Judaic studies, um, eventually uh, moved on uh, to Israel where I immigrated and lived there for some time and with the hope to become a rabbi. So I did uh, other studies there and then came back to the States and so many, so many details, but to spare <laughs> a very long story, eventually God would put uh, who I would call a Christian missionary in, in my path. Um, somebody, a Christian that was doing their job, so to say, in, in preaching and, and sharing the gospel and, and through the New Testament and the Old Testament, 
I was able to have my eyes open, so to say, um, and be able to come to Christ. And, and then subsequently from there, God would put other people in my path to help disciple me and get me to the point where I'm at now. And, and that's where uh, one of uh, the people that I met, Deanne, right, our, our common friend, so shout out to her. Uh, thank you to her because without her, I would have not made all the contact that I have now. So <laughs> thank you, Deanne, if you're watching or listening at some point. And she has saved me years of research as well as Hannah Benoon and Stephen Benoon. So shout out to them from Israeli News Live. They've done amazing work. I mean, things that I was thinking of writing, they've already covered. So God bless them. They saved us all years and years and decades of research so that's a quick little uh nutshell there and then if there's any specifics maybe i could add it in as we go along sure and yeah i just want to urge people to check out israeli news live uh, it's a great source of information and uh, they kind of try to give you kind of what the mainstream out of israel won't really give you and from a biblical perspective as well so they have provide some great information on there of course as well as uh, Deanna Michelle's book, and, and that's a great source as well to, to get if you don't understand a lot of the things along with Kabbalah, and I suppose with uh, the, the beliefs of Hasidic Jews, is that correct? Do, do all Hasidic Jews believe in the Kabbalah? Is that a standard? Um, so Hasidic Judaism is a, a subcategory of Orthodox Judaism. So when we say Orthodox Judaism, there's all these different factions within that movement. Um, but in relation to that question, yes, I don't know of any, uh, any Hasidic that doesn't believe in some form the mysticism or the Zohar or Kabbalah. Um, so as far as, as of the recording of this video, yes, <laughs> I would say uh, all Hasidics in some way, some form are connected to uh, the mysticism or the mystical side of Judaism, rabbinic Judaism. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm really uh, not real up to date on everything, as you can tell, and that's why I'm excited to have you on. I read Michelle's book, and it was fantastic, but it's been, I, I got it right when it came out, and I've been meaning to go back, and because those things are, you know, if you haven't been brought up in the faith uh, of, uh, you know, Orthodox Judaism, and, and you don't understand a lot about it, it's a little bit difficult to, to come into, and so uh, there's a lot of nuances and um, so I need to refresh my memory on a lot of that stuff and uh, but I really appreciate you coming on to talk to us and I, I listened to your interview with uh, Israeli News Live and I was just blown away by some of the things you we were talking about. We kind of touched on a little bit of that uh, when uh, Deanne was on the show but uh, really uh, what you were talking about in regards to the Nilhide laws, um, could you kind of give the people a little bit of perspective on what that is and, and how that kind of uh, co coincides with some legislation here in the United States? Yeah, the, the foremost experts would be definitely Han and Stephen Benoon, so I highly suggest to, to look at their videos, uh, those of you that are watching. But uh, a quick synopsis would be is that they're in, in rabbinic Judaism, the rabbis have determined that uh, the Torah, right, the first five books of Moses um, contains 613 commandments, which are applicable to 
the Jewish or Israelite nation, right? At, from that point in biblical period to the present, based on the interpretation of the rabbis, of course, right? Um, and as a result, the non-Jews, the non-Jewish nations have applied these uh, seven laws that pertain to morality and ethics and belief in, in one God. Uh, and that's important in relation to Christianity and those that are Trinitarian. Um, so th these laws are applied to these nations and they're universal, right? And so the, the idea is these are laws that these nations can accomplish and they don't need to become Jewish or part of the Israelite uh, nation or, or faith or religion in order to, to be uh, righteous or, or redeemed by God. That's on the surface, but once you start going down the rabbit trail, you start finding that these laws are, are in essence on the books because of a future plan. When, when their Messiah comes, which for Christians would be the Antichrist, there is going to be a, a global domination. And I mean this in the most literal sense. They, they believe that from Jerusalem, from the land of Israel, they will be ruling with this messianic figure who will impose these, these laws that are pretty general. Don't murder, don't steal, don't adulterate, worship only one God. Eventually it'll co coincide with him, right? They will be worshiping this, this entity, this person, this, this fake Messiah figure, right? Um, but the Gentile nations, the nations of the world don't realize this yet. And the church is not realizing all these details yet. And so that, that's the crux of the idea is that all these laws will culminate into uh, a global domination by the rabbis and their messianic figure. And that these nations will become subservient to Israel. And that is direct from their text. This is not conspiracy. This is not you know, protocols of elders of Zion or, you know, books that people usually criticize. This is their actual Talmudic text and in, in their interpretation and in that video. And we could even go over it here too, if you wish. Um, we, we see those citations and it is clear as crystal that that is the plan. It's amazing to me because I've been trying to learn more about these occult and esoteric beliefs because they're so prevalent online and it seems to there seems to be a resurgence and you know it's all a part of the new they kind of fit into the new age movement which is aligned with the United Nations and you know it just goes on and on and they all seem to have this some form of globalism this this type of global uh, unity or agreement. Uh, and so I think that's very interesting, interesting, except for, you know, Christianity is really the one that doesn't really seem to have that type of belief in, in you know, a utopia here on earth. You know, we believe uh, quite a bit different, but um, yeah, I just think that's interesting. And um, I remember reading a few years ago that uh, I believe it was, I want to say President George H.W. Bush had signed some sort of uh, Noah Hyde laws, I guess, into legislation. They were in legislation and he signed those. And I don't know if they're a type of binding legislation or not, but I just thought that was interesting. I, I probably should have looked into that before the show, but I, I know you had mentioned that on uh, 
Israeli News Live uh, about that legislation. And I, I know uh, it was created, I think somebody said under Carter and then uh, updated under maybe George W. H. W. Bush or something like that. But uh, there's a lot of things that people don't realize that have happened, especially with laws and legislation, because, you know, the average people just see kind of the surface level stuff that the corporate news wants to tell us, which is not very much, you know, they give us enough information to keep us fighting one another, but uh, there's so much disturbing info, uh, uh, legislation out there if people really <laughs> go on those long rabbit trails and, and it does take time to to kind of go through those and sift through those and find the more nefarious things. But um, it, so you grew up uh, and you were raised in Judaism. Is that, is that right? Orthodoxy, Orthodox Judaism? Well, I eventually I became uh, more Orthodox. I was introduced to uh, Judaism through my father, who presumably has Jewish ancestry. Mm -hmm. um, he was originally from Mexico, and he claimed to be part of what a group called the Moranos were uh, Jews ancestry that came from Spain and that were forced to become Catholics, but secretly they were uh, practicing certain Jewish rituals and things like that. And as I investigated and then later on through each of the Jewish movements that I went through, I began to learn more and more about this background. And so that's how I was introduced to Judaism. But as I progressed in learning about Judaism, I became more religious. So I started in the reform movement. So that's what's unique is that I've been in, in the far left to the far right. I started off in reform movement. Then I went through the conservative Jewish movement and then the Orthodox Jewish movement. And we can if you're interested, we can explain in, you know, in synopsis of what these movements stand for um, and why they differentiate from each other. But, but yeah, that, that's the answer to, to the question in the sense where I was introduced to Judaism through my father. And then as I progressed, and then especially going to Israel, I became more orthodox in, in practice and, and in, but mainly in, the, in theology and doctrine. Okay, yeah, and that's right. You went to college in, in Israel, if I'm not mistaken, or se seminary school. Yeah, I did my undergraduate here, and then throughout, I did seminars there and, and, and studied there and did some uh, other work that, that I did at Hebrew University and Ben-Gurion University as well. Well, that also gives you a, a unique perspective, and, and I think that's awesome that you have all these different, uh, you, you have experience in these other uh, beliefs, and I, I know you even mentioned that uh, you looked into Catholicism at, at some point in your journey as well. Yes, definitely. Um, that that was one of uh, the avenues that I was looking because on my mother's side she's Catholic, and so I, I wanted to see what that religion was about. I, I went through the RC, RCIA program that the Catholics have in order to to come back to the Catholic faith and, and for those that are converting to Catholicism. But as I was visiting a seminary, because I was even considering, well, if I can't be a rabbi or can't practice as a rabbi, hey, maybe I'll be a priest or something. So I, I while going to uh, visiting a seminary with some friends that I had met in the Catholic church, I just began to ask the clergy there, I said, well, what do you believe? They didn't even believe in their own Catholicism. It's like, <laughs> like what is going on? I'm, I'm used to hearing, you know, these, this strict Catholic interpretation, but then as I realized, you know, Second Vatican Council after 1960, so many things changed, and then Pope John Paul II came in and uh, reformulated the catechism to what they have today. So that's a whole nother rabbit hole, <laughs> another show to go down to. 
and, and I work a lot with Catholics to, to, to determine uh, whether what they're believing is authentic to the Bible or not. Um, but yeah, I went, I went down that path and, and, and learned and, and, and said, no, this just resembles rabbinic Judaism to me. This is, I'd rather just be Jewish. There's no, mm. it's a, a different hat, but same idea. <laughs> gotcha. Well, um, yeah, you had mentioned maybe kind of differentiating the different types of, of Judaism. I think that would help out my audience, if you wouldn't mind, because like I said, if you're not brought up in it, it's so hard to understand. And we just we just know a little bit, you know, from the things we've seen on TV and things like that, and which is not much. And it may not even be accurate. So, yeah, if you would just kind of give us a little a uh, little bit of history on the differences, perhaps. Yeah, so I, on the outside, you're going to see all these different social differences, like in conservative and reform, you're going to see women rabbis where you won't see that in orthodoxy. You'll see openly gay and, and LGBTQ rabbis in conservative and reform where you won't see that, at least openly, <laughs> in orthodox Judaism. And uh, so all this, uh, you know, whether it's uh, social issues like abortion or LGBTQ or women's rights or feminism or whatever the case may be, all, it all stems from this one point, right? And so what each of the movements are, are saying is what happened at Mount Sinai, right? So Orthodox Judaism, and listen carefully to how I'm about to say this. Orthodox Judaism will say, the Moses went up the mountain to receive the Torah. Notice I put that definite article, right? The, the, the. Conservative will say a Moses went up a mountain to receive a Torah. So you see this digression, right? And then you get into reform who will say this probably didn't happen, but for the sake of our fathers and their tradition, we will honor it and accept it. So as you digress from that definite article, the Moses, the mountain, the Torah, that's where you get all these uh, social issues and liberal issues in the, in the more liberal movements because ultimately what they don't believe is the inerrancy and the infallibility of the Bible, right? And that's number one statement, I think on any doctrinal statement, on any Christian church, whatever the denomination is that in theory, at least they're saying, we believe this text is God's word, right? So Orthodox Jews will say, yes, that is God's word, plus all the rabbi's word, right? That's another. That's what makes Judaism Judaism today. But conservative and reform will say, well, it could be God's word. It may not be God's word. Either way, this is the story of our people and we're gonna honor these traditions. And so that's what I would say in a nutshell differentiates these movements. And that determines how the orthoprax, right? How you practice something is, is uh, shown in these different movements. So you'll have, you know, the Hasidics are the more right wing of orthodoxy and they're far more stricter even within other Orthodox Jews, right? Some, some will some will not keep the same level of kosher, right? Dietary laws than others would, right? But the most liberal orthodox person is more right-wing than any conservative or reformed Jew. And so they will not recognize each other, right? And, and according to doctrine, right? Because it's like saying, 
Catholic and Episcopalian, right? They look the same, but they have a different doctrinal position, right? And so like, if you convert to Judaism, uh, normally conservative or reform will, will recognize each other, but orthodoxy uh, theoretically and technically should not accept because what these movements are technically saying to Orthodox Judaism, we don't believe the Bible. We don't believe the rabbis and we don't accept their authority. So that's where the Orthodox rabbis come in and say, well, we can't accept your authority, right? Because you don't accept the basic premise of God's word plus the rabbi's authority to interpret that word. And so these, in, in essence, it's like a different religion within a big religion, right? So that's, that's the rundown on, on the three major movements within rabbinic Judaism. So the, the outsider, they're just seeing the hat and the prayer shawl, but the insider doesn't, I mean, we, we know what the differences are and why we are Orthodox, Conservative, or Reform. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah, thank you for doing that because that, that helped me and I know it will help the audience as well to understand some of these nuances. Um, you know, it's so fascinating because, you know, I'm a Christian, but I, I've, I've been kind of, um, since I was like 20 or so, I've had this, um, I don't know, kind of uh, interest in looking at what other people believe, you know, it's, it's such a big part of history. So, you know, I, I, I think it's fascinating to learn all these different aspects and it helps us to understand some of the things and why some things are the way they are and uh, why people do certain things. Um, I remember reading, it was, I think it was a website called Ask the Rabbi, but it could, that's been quite a while back. And uh, someone had asked about what he believed as far as Satan or the devil and he, he said that, uh, that at least his form of Judaism, and I don't remember which kind it was, you know, they don't really believe that the devil exists. It's just kind of, um, it's kind of a, a way of saying, you know, don't, the devil represents evil and it represents your bad choices. So is that something that, that you're familiar with or is that just something uh, fringe that I ran upon at one time? Yeah, you'll get different responses based on the different movement and then individual Jews within those movements, right? So and so, uh, the greater picture would be Orthodox Judaism normally would see Satan as a literal figure. He, they, they see him as a lawyer, an advocate, right? It, it's actually God's partner, right? It's his partner in the sense where God is the judge and Satan is the district attorney right and, and and you're you're the person that has broken the law and so satan comes in to do his job to prove that you are are in error and how god should punish you so so yes satan is considered evil but he's evil because he's working against you it's not about you it's a, or not it's not about him it's about you right mm -hmm. yeah and so that that's what's unique and different where we don't have that issue in christianity this is black and white jesus is the savior satan is the opposite right the opposition yep. uh and and so it's it's more of this legal lawyer type of thing that in judaism <laughs> then as you get into conser conservative they call themselves the 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 smart jews uh or the wise jews judaism right um where we we see Satan as a metaphor, as what you're saying. So maybe this person could have been conservative or reform. Maybe it sounds conservative. 
a metaphor for evil, a metaphor for this uh, intuition inside that I struggle with. You know, they see it as uh, allegory or metaphor. Reform would probably not accept um, Satan as a literal figure or even as a metaphor rather than it's just that's how it's mentioned in our tradition. Therefore, we we give lip service to it, but we don't really believe that it's it, it's a it's a real entity. We believe in the goodness that the prophets have have taught, and therefore we strive for tikkun olam, this reparation of the world, rather than focusing on the negative side of of any evil or entity that could be. And so the the, the more literal you're going to get is in Orthodox Judaism. That's why if any of the movements are in any way close to Christianity, your best bet is going to be orthodoxy in the sense of how literal they take things. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I remember he went on to say at one point in the article, you know, the devil can even be looked at as a friend who teaches you kind of life lessons, which I, you know, I, I get what he was saying, but I just thought that was interesting. I never looked much further into it. But um, so on another subject, uh, Michelle talks about, or she talked about on the show, the, the Rabbi Sneerson, I think, who uh, have passed away now, but uh, he was looked at by, uh, I don't know which sect of Jews, but it was, uh, he was looked at as a, a savior type, wasn't he, a, a messiah type? Yes, this is Rabbi Menachem Schneerson. He was the Rebbe of the Hasidic group called Chabad. Chabad is an acronym for Chochmah, Bina, and Da'at. It's, a, it's wisdom, knowledge, and learning. It's, it, it's, an, it's the words for in Hebrew, and they create a, an acronym for, for that, and it comes out, it makes the word Chabad, right? And so okay. these, these guys are, now we're talking the box of orthodoxy, right? Within orthodoxy, there's this far-right Hasidic group, right? Hasidic... Um, uh, Hasid just means uh, righteous or religious person, right? And so the, this person is the head of this particular group called Chabad, which long story short, these are just uh, ex-immigrants uh, from Russia, Ukraine, Poland that, that have left post-World War II. They relocated in New York and the East Coast. And in these Hasidic groups in, in Russia, they, these were considered, Hasidic groups were considered like the poor man's Judaism. They didn't go to seminary. They're just like, kind of like charismatics in Christianity. Oh, I'm just going to learn through the spirit and see what happens, you know? And, and so they got the title Rebbe, but they were not really rabbis in, in the academic sense of the word, like in Western Germany and Europe, you know, where you go to academy and certain have all these studies and ceremonies and rituals and things, right? So at first they started off as the poor man's Judaism. And so the head, the one who knew the most was the Rebbe, right? The one that was the head of the community. And then that transpires into an official movement and eventually they became more like the Western Orthodox Jews and becoming more organized and formal in their seminaries. And then you flash forward past World War II and they immigrate to the United States and the headquarters for this group, Chabad, is in New York. And the Rebbe, um, which has now a vacant seat, right? Because he was considered like the Pope of that community. And so he's the one that all of these 
uh, House bills from Carter all the way through, they dedicate World Education Day in the name of Menachem Schneerson. So when you see Menachem Schneerson, they're honoring, right, this, this Rebbe, this Pope figure of, of this particular group. And in this group, there was or is, that's what's debatable right now, as to whether uh, Menachem Schneerson claimed to be the Messiah. So there's fringe groups within that group that still to this day believe he's the Messiah because of certain things that, that he said and that he will return and resurrect. And so at the time in, in when I was in Israel, they're a big major group in, in, in Israel and in, in the orthodoxy. And so everywhere I would go, there would be posters of this man, right? He kind of looks like Santa Claus. He has the white beard. He's wearing the big black hat. And in Hebrew, it would say Mashiach Akshav. It would say Messiah now. Wow. Right? You don't see that in New York, maybe <laughs> necessarily. I, ha I haven't been there in, in some time. I don't remember seeing those signs in New York. But definitely on the streets of Israel, you would see. And there, there's this saint worship. It's kind of like they criticize Catholicism, but they do have, uh, especially in the Hasidic movements, they honor their sadikim, their saints, their, their righteous ones. And so at the head of all of these, you know, rabbinic saints, you have Schneerson, and he's considered to be uh, within that fringe movement of Chabad to be the Messiah. And they truly believe that he will return. It's kind of similar idea. It's like I have Christian friends that say they have, these Jews have the right idea, but the wrong person. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and so that's the story behind him. And he's the one that's actually being honored in these Noahide laws because he pushed that a lot. He was a a proponent for these Noahide laws and uh, uh, getting, you know, throughout the world as the concept of bringing uh, all different religions together, putting the, it's that ecumenism, right? Let's put the mm. differences aside, doctrine divides, and let's unite on, on what we agree on. He was one of the main proponents. Now he passed away, I think somewhere in the eighties, late eighties. Um, but to this day, there, there's some people that are waiting they have their ritual and their ceremony to pray for his return and apparently in israel it's it's enough where there's posters you know so <laughs> you'll see bb netanyahu in one corner and then you see schneerson on the other corner it's very <laughs> funny well yeah I, i've mentioned this a couple of times on the show probably more than more than that but you know the night before the not the past election but the election before that there was um news that Ivanka and Jared Kushner had went to Rabbi Sneerson's memorial, I guess his gravesite there in, in I suppose it's in New York. Uh, and I guess they prayed there the night before the election. And I'd never heard of him at the time. And I didn't know what Chabad Judaism was. I, I didn't understand it. So I had to look into that and stuff. But uh, I just thought that was interesting to think so much of that guy that they would go there the night before the election and pray at his grave. It was kind of, was really interesting to me. So that's fascinating. Um, yeah, he was definitely a mover and shaker in U.S. politics and Israeli politics. It, it, uh, within the circles that are in the know, he, he, he was around there and that's why. And, and apparently Kushner and Ivanka are, are part of Chabad movement. So that would make sense why they were going to pay homage to, to their leader. Again, they, they have their own saints. It's, it's almost identical to Catholicism. Like if you, if you cannot, if you can't have a baby, there's a, there's a rabbi that will help you get pregnant, right? If you go to his shrine and wherever it is in Europe, 
and you pray there, you'll get pregnant. Or if you're having love problems or it's, it's literally, I'm not even joking. This is, that, that's why when the, the time that I, I, I investigated Catholicism, I'm like, wow, this is same hat, different story. You know, it's, 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 it's very, very identical. And that's why they did what they did because they firmly believe uh, as part of their form of Orthodox Judaism that these righteous men, as, you, as I showed in the Talmud, right? The, these rabbis established their authority by tricking God, right? In the Talmud, in that story, right? God says, well, my children have defeated me. They have outwitted me. And so, yeah, I have to submit to their interpretations. When would you ever think God would say something like that? But that's the reason why ultimately they're doing that because it goes back to that rabbinic literature. The Torah, the Bible, what we know as the Old Testament is not sufficient even for Orthodox Judaism. It's you need the wisdom and the sages and, and their lens of interpretation. And so now you multiply that by 2000 years later, and this is why you're getting these rituals that Kushner and Ivanka are doing, because it's been taught to honor your sages. It's been taught to, to in, in essence, idolize your, your, your teacher. And so their teacher for their movement, their Rebbe, is Schneerson. And that's why you're seeing all of this engulf into, if not legislation, at least, you know, for optics, they, they sign these bills that, that are honoring this particular person. Because we go back to the whole root of, of the theory is that eventually, if we even reading Book of Revelations, as I said in, in, in that video with Hannah and Stephen, this antichrist is not going to be ruling from Miami Beach, Florida, right? He's not going to be ruling from Dallas, Texas, where I'm at right now. He's going to be ruling from where? Jerusalem. That's the epicenter. And that's where the world and global government is going to be in this end times, right? And, that, and that's the whole idea. And, and that's part of it. And they promoted that, this global world government under the rabbi's Mashiach, this, this rabbi's Messiah. Wow, you're blowing my mind here. <laughs> Fascinating. So, and I don't expect you to know the answers to every single thing, but I have two, uh, well, I have one other thing that I've always been interested in, and I should have taken the time to really look into this, and, and maybe one day I will, but so I don't think a lot of Christians realize that the Zohar and the, and the Talmud are such big deals and I don't think most Christians know even what those those books are. Uh, but also, there are there are two ta uh, Talmuds, correct? Like about uh, the Babylonian Talmud, and then there's the lesser used Jerusalem uh, Talmud. Yeah. And why are there? Do you know why they why they choose the Babylonian Talmud, or what the differences are, the important differences anyway? Um, it has to do with geography and influence. They, they're not considered necessarily separate Talmuds because they cover the same topics. Uh, the only reason why the Babylonian took over as, as more authoritative is because that's where the majority of Jews were at that time. It was already post this exile and most of the Jews were living in what is today ba uh, Babylon, you know, Iraq, Iran, Jordan, Syria, all this area. And so it, it was just an issue of numbers and, and geography. Mostly everyone was there. And so that was the, the seat of influence. Not to say that there weren't rabbis or anyone left over in the land of Israel, 
there were, and they were working together. So it's not necessarily considered separate books, um, but in times where there were differences, uh, there was like majority vote and those that were in the majority were always outside of the land of Israel. So that's why eventually they just said, we'll just consolidate this into the Babylonian Talmud and we'll have what we did write in, in Jerusalem, we'll keep on the books, but from this point on in history, around the fourth or fifth century, they just consolidated everything into what is now known as the Babylonian Talmud. But when we study it, or when I did study it, right, back when I was a rabbinic Jew, we just called it the Talmud. We didn't necessarily make a differentiation. It's uh, it's something more optical rather than, than practical. It's Okay, great. Yeah, thank you for clearing that up. I've always wondered about that, uh, or at least for the last few years. I didn't even know that there were two until the last few years when I kind of looked at it a little bit. Um, also with the Zohar, you know, that's mainly where the Kabbalah comes from, isn't it? Like the, that's where the idea of Kabbalah comes from? Yeah, around the fifth and sixth century, apparently there was a rabbi, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who um, apparently thought the Talmud was not sufficient enough, the volumes and volumes of commentaries, right? So he, he, he's considered what, what we would call more like the charismatics of Christianity in the sense where he went hyper-spiritual. And again, nothing against charismatics or anything like that. I'm just trying to make a connection for people to have an equivalency, right? He, he went hyper-spiritual. He said, the text is good, but I'm feeling the spirit. I'm feeling messages and I'm getting revelations. And so he would go off and and live off away. I think it was for a year or so that he lived away from, from civilization. And that's where he got all of these messages apparently, right? And so uh, I believe he heard something, but I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit, capital H, capital S, he was hearing some spirits. And as you can tell, as a result, you know, so from the fourth, fifth, sixth century, all the way into the middle ages, right? That's where you start getting the Zohar finally redacted and, and written down into the idea that it is. So what the Zohar ultimately is, and the little that I'm that I know, because I'm not an expert in it, but it's just a continuation of the gaps in the Bible. So what they're suggesting is any commentary post the Bible is to fill in the gaps that God didn't tell you about in the Bible. And so what, how the Zohar is set up, it's set up according to uh, primarily the, the first five books of the Torah, right? So you'll get the actual Genesis book, right, that we're used to, and then you'll, you're going to get uh, the Genesis version in, Zo in the Zohar, right? So one example would be in chapter one, God creates male and female right? But then you get into chapter two and chapter three, and he starts describing how he pulled Eve from Adam's rib, right? So the rabbis will say, wait a minute, what's this gap between chapter one and chapter two? Who's this woman in chapter one that's not the rib getting pulled out in chapter two or chapter three? And they say this is uh, a pre-Eve woman named Lilith, and this is where you get uh, Lilith fair and all this feminism, right? That this is a demoness that was originally a creation of God. And she was the first rebellious woman. She said, I don't need a man. I don't need <laughs> authority. 
And so God expels her and converts her into a demon. And so this, this is the gaps that they're trying to explain, right? But it's authoritative. Where for us as Christians, we don't see it. We just see that chapter one is the overall breath, right? The abstract. And then chapter two is the details. And yep. they're saying, no, these were two separate events. So right then and there, we have a disconnect between Christianity and rabbinic Judaism. But they're authoritative. In, in, in essence, a real religious Jew is not going to say this is false. If they do, it's to cover up or to make you feel good as a Christian or to not you know, take you down the rabbit holes, but I'm telling you up front, if a religious Jew is, is true to their Orthodox Judaism, they have to accept, whether they know everything or not, they have to accept the authority of these rabbis. And they do. They ultimately do. Mm. So wow. that in synopsis is what, how the Zohar works. They'll fill in those, those, those gaps with extra stories that are authoritative. They must, it's, it's just like Catholicism in the sense of the catechism, right? Pope Pius, whoever it was, decided that uh, Mary was born immaculate. Now it's dogma, even though it's not in the Bible. I said it, therefore you have to believe it. It's the same process. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it says clearly in the Bible that whoever adds or takes away from the scriptures, you know, will be severely punished. But, uh, you know, I see the argument they will say, well, we're not adding to the actual bible exactly this is a separate book that just explains it it's a commentary or or something like that but uh, well they'll say that to you <laughs> <laughs> but the re if you look at the text that we that we looked at in the video i it's it's the exact opposite right it even says beware and take close heed to the word of the sages if not you deserve what death mm -hmm. so their interpretation within our within this circle right is that we are even more authoritative than the Torah. That's the idea of rabbinic Judaism. They're this interim Messiah, right? That's what worries me about the church is the statement you just made, right? They, they will make you believe, oh, don't worry. This is just a commentary. It's not like other religions. We're just giving an opinion. No, that's what makes the religion is there. <laughs> authoritative opinion they are the bat kol. they are the voice of god up until their messiah figures uh come in wow man that's so interesting um so, so it's not to correct you but in no, a way no. that's the that's the false flag that's the deception the statement you made is exactly what they want the church to believe that it's just a commentary don't worry it's just us being silly rabbis having a conversation. No. no well, they're speaking on behalf of God. I mean, it's it's amazing. And I'll I'll admit, I'll be the first to admit that I don't understand a lot about Judaism, but the 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 amount of Christians that I know that just never question anything uh that you know comes out of Israel or you know, if someone was Jew Jewish or you know, they practice uh judaism they won't question anything about it and i think that's really i try to tell people you may be i know you think you're doing what's right and you think you're doing what's biblical but i think it, in the long run they end up defending the israeli government more than they actually are defending jews you know and, and israelites and, and and citizens of israel and they think they're doing right but i don't think you can 
you can't give any government total leeway to do whatever they want to do and, and you, you they have to question them and and even the the citizens there you know they they don't always agree with their government and that's natural so i think that uh, people need to really understand uh you know and, and do the research and understand these things and um i think that uh, of course they need to read uh deanne's book and and uh follow people like you so they can understand what's really going on because I mean, I don't think we have a clue. I don't think we have a clue. And I think we need to know because, um, you know, I know there's books out there like um, like the Talmud Unmasked. And I know there's another one that's similar, but I can't remember the, the exact name of it. But they, they say, you know, that, um, that Jesus, the original Talmud, uh, supposedly, I guess it was edited in the early 1900s to take some of the stuff out, but that it spoke pretty negatively of Jesus and even of Mary. Is that anything that you've ever heard? Like, um, like they compare Jesus to some kind of animal, fecal matter, supposedly, and Mary was so said to have had a an affair with a a Roman soldier and that was Jesus's real father and stuff like that you know it's hard to know what's real and what's not you know because there's been so much time passed and you know people invent stuff so well if, if I can step away for just a second I'll go I'll grab my I'm on my bookshelf and I'll tell I'll show you exactly what what to get hold on absolutely one yeah I appreciate it I think this stuff is so interesting and uh, I've never really talked with anyone who could really clear up some of these controversies. And, uh, you know, I, I'm afraid the conspiracy theorists kind of, uh, and people in the truther community, they're so quick to kind of jump on to certain things without knowing all the details. So I appreciate you uh, clearing this up. So so first book to go to is, is this one here, Jesus in the Talmud. It's by Peter Schaefer, Okay. Okay. This is a rabbinic Jew. This is not a Jew that believes in Christ, as far as I know, as of the recording of this video. All those things that you're talking about, they're all in here. What they literally think about Jesus, I can confirm it. I, I have PDFs and printouts. I went back to fact, fact search or what do they say? What do they say? Fact check. <laughs> yeah. The, the information. Yeah. The, for me, the, the key is this is Peter Schaefer. A, a, a scholar, you know, and a Jew who's not a believer in Christ has mm -hmm. nothing to gain from it and just says, this is what the Talmud says about Jesus. Do your research, post this. And everything that you see about whether it's about Mary, whether it's about Jesus. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, according to the Talmud and especially the research that I have, you can go to online. It's called sepharia.org. That's the online uh, rabbinic literature from the Bible itself all the way through the Zohar. You just type in Jesus in the search engine, you're going to get every verse that you just discussed. So these conspiracy theorists are not incorrect in, the, in presenting that information. Now, we can debate whether the, what their intentions are as a result and their opinions post that, but the information I can confirm is correct. And you have right here, again, Jesus in the Talmud by Peter Schaefer. It's, it's a heavy book, academic, but it's worth getting. It's not that long. Mm -hmm. It'll confirm everything that you just said. Fascinating. 
Well, thank you for that. I'll definitely, that's, that's going to be on my list. I've got a long book list, but I'm going to put that one to the top because uh, you, you'd be surprised. I mean, even after, I mean, I, I knew some of this in rabbinic Judaism, but now as a result of being Christian, going back and rereading these rabbinic texts and literature, I'm like, wow, how have we survived this? <laughs> I mean, I, not that, not that I would want anything to happen to the Jewish people. Right. right. I mean, God forbid. Because I'm not talking, like I said in the video, I'm not talking about the little grandma that's at a Sabbath service that doesn't know mm -hmm. what's really happening behind the scenes. That that person, you know, I, I have a little bit more grace for. It, it's sure. the guys with the hat and the curls that that that, that I, I'm out here to expose because they're they're not fooling anyone, and it's uh, and they're just they're advertising it now. You could literally go, like I said, on safari.org, type in Jesus, and they give you exactly what they believe. And 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 there's been videos and documentaries out there. Oh, we we don't mention Jesus. They mention him by name. They say Jesus of Nazareth in the Talmud. Right? Now there are code names that they use in place of them, but there are parts where they just flat out say, This is Jesus of Nazareth we're talking about. And they'll say, Oh, we we never crucified him. We never they said it in, in, in a section of the Talmud. We hung him on a tree, right? And they mean the cross, right? They're not going to say cross literally. This is their, their code for it, you know? And, and, and the, the cross was made out of a tree anyway, the wood. So whether they meant it literally or figuratively, the point is for them to, to say in the modern day, we never did this or our, or our institution as the Pharisees or the rabbis have no responsibility they talk about the fifth amendment right they incriminate themselves by writing in the talmud this you know so it's there if you want to see it and i will always help you or anyone else that is willing to to find that information wow man that's well i'm glad that you cleared that up because i've always wondered you know because i've been reading about that stuff now you know for 10 15 years and it's like you know how it is online there's so much information that it's kind of hard to parse out unless you have a, a source that really seems credible. Uh, it's kind of hard to find out what's true and what's not. And, and you know, of course there is anti-Semitism out there and, and um, you know, and so I think that people get carried away with pretty much everything. I'm convinced the older I get that one of the main problems with the world is people go so completely fundamentalist in whatever they believe that they mm -hmm. become totally unreasonable and um it allows them also to be used by people of, of authority so you know it, it's easy for them to become somewhat uh you know uh racist or what have you bigoted and in and then there's people who of course are so sensitive now that they call everything racist or bigoted so it's like you know <laughs> it's just a crazy time to be alive with all this information that we have at our fingertips it's it's fantastic for people like you and me that we you know we can go and, and explore and, and research and, and and find out what's true but i think there's a lot of people that just can't quite handle it all and uh it kind of uh it kind of reacts ne negative negatively in their lives you know but uh, that's another story but mm -hmm. anyway this has been a fascinating conversation uh, this has been awesome um, would you like to tell people where they can get a hold of you and, or uh, any, any links you'd like to give out or any information you'd like to give out? Yeah, the best way to get a hold of me is my email. It's redpill 
redpillisrael at protonmail.com. So again, redpillisrael at protonmail.com. And I've been getting wonderful emails. I've literally, I've even scheduled Skype calls with people as far as Ireland, the UK, Europe, even Latin and South America. So I'm open to that, you know, um, just be patient as I get to the emails as as they come in, but please send emails. uh, If any questions you have, I'll do my very best to answer them as thoroughly as possible. Um, That's the best way. I've tried doing websites and, and, and working on videos and platforms, but things keep getting censored and getting cut off. And so right now the best way is, is email until I can figure out all that other technological stuff. But, um, but yeah, that would be the best way. Again, redpillisrael at protonmail.com. Fantastic. Okay, I'm gonna ask you one last question. Then, oh, sure. I got time as much as you want. And I hope this is the first of many conversations. Absolutely. I'd love to have you back on. Um, so the, the Star of David, or what we know is the Star of David, you know, when you kind of look into some of these esoteric and occult uh, mystery religions or whatever you want to call it, it seems like that, that uh, star goes back much farther than, uh, than what we're led to believe. And it has, uh, I've always thought, or not always, but in the last few years thought that it was a bit peculiar that that particular star was chosen for the for the flag because you know it does have that i think there's no doubt it has the symbology of uh as above so below in it you know and uh do you have any any thoughts on that and why that one was particularly um picked out and also i noticed that um i think it was this last election with apac um Biden, I believe it was Joe Biden had spoken there and they up on the screen, they had this like phenomenal uh, backdrop with all these big screens, but uh, you had the star of David pop up and right beside it, you had the, uh, it was either the pinnacle or the pentagram pop up right beside it. And I thought that was so weird that uh, that would pop up like that. I mean, I know that I'm not going to say that pinnacle necessarily is evil i understand that there's signs for you know spirits and wind and sun and all that stuff but i know this is kind of a strange question but do you have any any thoughts on that yeah here i would preface that this is merely my opinion and and my thoughts um as far as i know as a political symbol the it's given the name star of david but there's no evidence that it goes back to david if anything, the evidence shows that this was part of the World Zionist uh, Congress uh, back in the late 1800s with Theodore Herzl, and, and that became uh, the prominent symbol that they were going to use for for the Jewish uh, nationalism, Zionism, and, and for the potential future state as a symbol for Jews in Israel. So it's actually something very recent. It's not something that goes back thousands of years for Jews, but it does go back hundreds of thousands of years um, in other esoteric religions, like the, the Babylonian religions, we see ancient temples that have these particular star type of symbols. And if not this uh, star, other forms of stars, right, that you're mentioning. So the, that idea goes back much farther than the late 1800s. Mm-hmm. Why they specifically chose this, you, you, you see a lot of uh, connections back to the Zohar, the mysticism, what is up, what is down. And 
you see the sphere wrote, right? The, the, the different um, aspects of the Godhead in Kabbalah, the 10 different uh, aspects of that. And then that somehow plays into the symbolism uh, of the star. Um, but for me, ultimately, I think it's, it's very satanic. Uh, I'll just be upfront. It's, it's not something unique to the Bible that I'm aware of. Other than in the book of Acts, as I'm looking here at my citation, chapter 743, and Stephen addresses this. He says, Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Remphan. And so if you go back and research Remphan on credible sources, either online and in books, the, the, alter, the symbol you get tracked back to is this star of David. So it's Stephen already, the only time I see direct, directly in the Bible is in the New Testament where, where Stephen is addressing this to, to the people, to the, those Jews that he's trying to win to Christ. Mm -hmm. He's saying, look, here's your star. So if anything, if it goes back, it, there's some kind of, of connection to it. And in that period, what it was for, I don't know, because what we do know is that, that Israel at the time, it was their God, you know, Elohim, Jehovah, however they would name him, plus all these little demigods that they borrowed from other civilizations living around them. So nothing new has changed in, in 2000 years. And that's how I'm thinking that that star came into being, at least at that period. And so it was enough for him to address whatever this star is. I would say it is this star of David that you're describing. I can't prove that explicitly from the text other than he's mentioning a star, but my conspiracy will start going. And I think, well, what other star could they ever have been, been using? So again, this is just my opinion, but yeah, I, sure. I, I think it's a satanic symbol. Um, Jews don't know that. Most, pe mo most people don't know that. And, and even most religious Jews don't, don't even know the origin of, of the star. They, they, there's people that literally believe it goes back to David, right? So you mm -hmm. see in the old MGM movies where you have King David and he has his shield and he has this blue, you know, inverted triangle. And they're thinking it's going back to David. That much we know is not true. And so... So I would be very careful with that. I, I, I deal a lot with Messianic Jews and Hebrew roots. And, and they ask me, should we use the symbol? And I'd say emphatically, no, your symbol mm -hmm. is Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. That's it. I appreciate that background. That's great. Um, and I know I have to say, you know, that there's been a lot of time that's passed and, you know, it's possible that it could have been another type of star. I mean, people, you know, it is a super, I mean, obviously the triangle is one of the most simple uh, shapes that you can draw. And I know when I first got into looking into these esoteric beliefs and mystery religions, every time I would see a triangle, I would, ah, you know, Illuminati. And then and as I've gotten older, I've tried to understand, well, there's a finite amount of symbols that you can draw and and obviously the triangle is one of those that's easy to draw and eye-catching so i try not to always jump to conclusions but uh you know it's it's hard kind of hard not to sometimes but oh, and, was... and i only say this because of the circles i i've been in and why they're using the symbol now and where it derives from now in judaism and it's from the mysticism and and so i go back to the old adage what would jesus say what would jesus do is, is this symbol coming from the New Testament? No, it's coming from ultimately Jewish mysticism. So that is, by definition, anti-Christ. Anything, any religion or any faith or any situation that you're in where Jesus is not Lord and God, at least from 
my Christian perspective, mm-hmm. well, the only the only other way is 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 antichrist. That's what the New Testament says. So it can't mm-hmm. be coming from Christ. That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. And so as as much as the symbol, you know, you can respect other religions and faith, but at, for me, as 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 my understanding of the black and white of Christianity is is if Jesus is not the head of whatever the situation is, then it's got to be the opposite. And so that's mm-hmm. why I say it's satanic because I only have two options. It's either Christ or the opposition, which is Satan. Fantastic. Well, I'm not saying I, individual people necessarily are evil, yeah. because, but the, right. the organization, the structure, the meaning behind it, whether the individual Jew or, or Christian knows or not, the, the symbol of itself is now representing something that is against Christ, not for mm-hmm. Christ. That's what mm-hmm. I, I want to preface. Um, well, since you said you could stay for a few more minutes, I've got yeah, one more fine. topic. I got time. I mean, it's up to you. I mean, but I'm I'm fine. I, I'm 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 on vacation. I'm on spring break from school. I oh cool. I'm an educator, so I I got time. <laughs> Very cool. Well, thank you. So uh, you know, I look into a lot of. I've been looking into Freemasonry for the last year or so. I've done several shows on it, just trying to uh, understand it all. And I I know that a couple of the prolific writers like Albert Pike and Albert Mackey. Uh, they say clearly that Freemasonry owes a lot of what they teach to the Kabbalah. And of course, they make Solomon, King Solomon, and Solomon's Temple a huge part of their symbolism. And some Masons will say, well, you know, King Solomon didn't even exist, and this is just a metaphor, an allegory, you know, because I think they mainly think that the whole Bible is an allegory from what I can tell, but um, and then others, you know, say, well, no, he definitely existed and he was a very important part of, you know, the, um, the, you know, they seem to revere him more for his, uh, when he kind of fell, you know, when he got into uh, uh, the, the, the different uh, religions that his consorts were practicing and stuff like that. Uh, and I, I don't know, I realized at some point I thought, well, you know, he was, Obviously, uh, the Bible says that he was a very intelligent man, and 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 God loved him very much. But the you know the the Masons they don't like him for when he was a good man favored by God. They like him after he fell. So uh, I think that's something to be said about them. But again, I won't say that all Masons are evil or bad people. I don't want to say that either. But uh, what I wanted to ask you is as far as in Judaism, does King Solomon play a big part, and uh, how is he kind of looked at in Judaism? So yeah, again, you're gonna. I, I think the the, the masonry uh, comes off of uh, this long line of of Jewish in, interpretation, and it's, you're gonna see similar similarities with conservative or Reform Judaism on those points with masonry because these movements don't take the Bible literally. They don't see it as the infallible word of God, right? Conservative and reform. So this translates into the, what we call the Haskalah, the enlightenment period. And that's where masonry and all these secret societies and, you know, 16, 1700s started happening. And there was that Jewish enlightenment, the Haskalah, right? The, the, the Renaissance was before that. And then the Jewish Renaissance enlightenment happened in 16, 17, 1800s. And, and so you see this infiltration of, of uh, non-religious Jews into these societies. And that's where you're getting a lot of, I, I would believe, 
some of these ideas. Now, uh, what role does Solomon play? Again, it would depend on, on the movement. That's why I preface, mm -hmm. this is why I think Masonry believes what it believes because they're not taking uh, the orthodox position, right? The orthodox position is God is ruling God in theory, right? God is ruling, the word of God is true, <laughs> plus the rabbis, right? But that's the addendum, right? And so uh, I think that's what's happening. So in orthodox Judaism, Solomon is a literal character, a biblical figure. He's a real person historically. Everything that is written about him is, is true in light of, I, again, in light of the interpretation of the rabbis. Um, but in, in short, he's real. In conservative reform, that's where you start getting this Masonic idea in the sense where, well, he could have been, there was maybe a Solomon with a little s, but the glorified Solomon from the Bible, that was hyperbole or embellishment mm -hmm. or so it depends on 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 the movement and, and what Jew you're asking. But uh, as then as as of now, I see I personally see Solomon as a real historical figure, and everything mm -hmm. that has ever been written about him in that Holy Bible, I take as gospel truth. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think people, you know, I think that uh, I know I read a while back that um, there was some archaeological proof of King Solomon that had been uncovered. And, you know, that's one thing that a lot of people, I don't think it gets enough attention is all the different archaeological finds that kind of back up some of the, a lot of the things that uh, the Bible talks about. And, um, and not to mention a lot of the manuscripts that have been found over time that corroborate the Bible, you know, they're manuscripts of the Bible. Uh, so copies of them, obviously copies, but um, they go back, you know, for decades and decades. But um, yeah, I just thought that was an interesting question because they, you know, S Solomon plays such a big part in their lore. And of course you have the Egyptian uh, Freemasonry where they try to say, well, you know, that there, there was no such thing as this whole um, Jewish version of Freemasonry is not the real, it started way before that. But there's, I don't think there's any real proof of that. I think it's just two different, um, two different beliefs, you know, and, and over time I'll say this too, is like, I don't think enough people talk about when they're talking about these secret societies that the mystery religions are, we, we call them mysteries for a reason because we really don't have very much on those religions. We have quite a bit on what the Egyptians believed because of their cuneiform tablets and different things. And they were around for so very long, but a lot of these secondary, you know, cults or mystery religions, there's hardly anything to corroborate what they believed in many cases. So I think that the Freemasons uh, have mixed a lot of this stuff together. And also you look at, um, and I know I'm being long-winded here, but if you look at the Hellenization of everything in late antiquity, um, I think that the uh, Freemasons also don't even understand that a lot of things that they're talking about were mixed together and they weren't even the original beliefs of even the Egyptians and stuff like that. So. And, and, and it's what I, I teach with locally here with, with people that, that study with me. I, I've, I've always start off uh, my, my studies with individuals saying, there's, for lack of a better term, there's basically two religions in the world, right? There's grace through faith, that's Jesus Christ. And then there's humanism and works, which is Satan, right? Mm -hmm. Or purposes of being righteous in front of God, right? Yeah. And so... It, any religion, whether it's Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Freemasonry, Secret Society, Mystery Babylon, Rosa Cruces, whatever, 
all what they all have in common, right, is mm -hmm. words, mm -hmm. including Catholicism, Orthodoxy, Mormonism, all what they all these groups that I've mentioned, it's always God plus works. And authentic mm -hmm. Christianity has always been believe on Jesus Christ, your righteousness is through Jesus Christ. Now, yes, there's works post your salvation and for obedience and doing what the king wants you to do. But the initial part of you being found correct in God's eyes is because he's seen Jesus in you. Mm -hmm. That is revolutionary. That yeah. has always been the Bible, even in the Old Testament, right? How was Abraham found righteous? Because he believed in the presumed coming of, of the Lord and the Lord that was present with him at that point, right? Mm -hmm. That's how he becomes a Jew. That's how he becomes Israel. It has nothing to do with whether I came out of a woman that's Jewish or whether I was born in Saudi Arabia and now I'm a Muslim or wh whatever the, these ideas are. Those are the two religions. And yeah. that's what you know. Grace through faith is, is one religion and humanism and works is the other. Mm -hmm. And at some point, the, every individual has to make that choice and decision. So that's why you're seeing in masonry where Solomon, the fallen, is emphasized. Why? Because that alternative religion of the world, especially now in the new age, is what can you do to repair the world? What mm -hmm. can you do to repair yourself? What works have you done? What philanthropy have you done? It's always you, 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 you. And yeah. that reeks for me of the religion of Satan. Well, my friend Aaron, he went to seminary school. We were talking the other day and he said, you know, I had a professor. He said, uh, the thing that makes Jesus different is pretty much every other religion is the God wants to know what you can do for him. And Jesus did everything for you. So that, that pretty much sets that faith apart and I think that uh is one of the reasons why all these other religions are against that one and I would say even Catholicism because I feel like they have taken so many attempts and in, in in actions to take the emphasis off of Christ whether it's you know Mary worship or praying through the saints or the the icons and I, we can go into, you know, I'm not, I don't believe that the icons are necessarily bad, but I believe people can overdo that very much. So, and, you know, and, and again, the, the, the early church fathers were brilliant and fantastic. And I think people should read them, but um, you know, don't worship them by any means. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I think that that makes perfect sense. And I guess we'll end it on that right there because that's that's great. I don't think we can get much better than that. That's a high note. So one one more time, real quick, would you give your email address if you wouldn't mind? Yes, again, my, my email is redpillisrael at protonmail.com. And please, I welcome all messages. Thank you for those that have written so far and for those that who will write. God bless you in Jesus' name. And I look forward to to having many, many, many more conversations with you. And and this has, this has been fun. Absolutely. I'll get a hold of you very soon. And when the show comes out, I'll, uh, I'll send you a link to it. And I'll, I'll link your uh, email, if that's okay. And I'll also sure. link yeah. your, uh, when you appear with the uh, Israeli News Live as well. And um, if you have any other uh, links or interviews or anything like that you'd like me to put in the show notes, just email me and I'll be happy to put them in the, in the show notes. 
Yeah, I have a PDF. Um, I'm really going old fashioned, right? Because I don't know all this technology, but I made a PDF with uh, hyperlinks where if you hover over the picture on the PDF, it'll take you to that video, assuming it hasn't been taken down by one of these platforms. So I can send you that, or if anyone who emails me, they if they want that, I can send. And, and then once I get your link, I'll add that link to the to the PDF as well. Very cool. Okay, man. Thank you so much for being on. You have a wonderful day and I'll be in touch soon. Thank you so much. God bless you and everyone that's watching in Jesus name. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that was Luis Perez, guys. I'm so thankful that he came on and cleared up so many things. You know, when it comes to Judaism or Israel or anything like that, It's so often that you hear someone either totally protecting those things and not willing to admit any fault or any negatives about them, or someone who goes in on the other side and really is anti-Semitic and blames the Jews for every single thing that goes on in the world. So I appreciate him coming on to clear up a lot of those things. Otherwise, we would have never known, right? So... I hope to talk to him again in the near future, and I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. I want to thank everyone, as always, for listening, taking your time to listen. I want to thank all my patrons, for sure. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you to Sir Tim of the Tunnels for turning me and Mo from MoFax with Adam Curry on to each other. And so I had Mo on, and that'll be my show for next week. And if you want to join the Patreon, you don't have to wait. I put up the audio yesterday as soon as we got done with the show. So you can check that out. Me and Mo talk about the occult. He also has a unique perspective. And I thought it was a fascinating conversation. So I know you guys will enjoy that one as well. Other than that, I don't have anything big planned. I'm going to be working on the third episode on astrotheology, and I'm also going to be working on the third episode of the Pilgrim Society. I know there's so much more out there that I keep learning about the Pilgrims, and so I can't wait to talk to you guys about that. Other than that, that's about it. I thank you guys once again. Cheers and blessings, and remember, their order is not our order. See ya.